The Standard Deviations Podcast is a weekly production that looks at money, mind, and meaning, all through a psychological lens. Each week, psychologist and New York Times bestselling author Dr. Daniel Crosby interviews a fascinating new guest, experts in everything from finance to literature to wellness. When was the last time you splurged on something when you knew it probably conflicted with one of your financial goals, like paying down debt or saving for future fun in retirement? Well, if you do this, you're not alone. It's because of present bias, or to use the psychobabble term, hyperbolic discounting. As humans, we have a tendency to let the immediate rewards of the here and now win out over a desired future reality. To learn more, check out the Cash Dash Dash, a planning tool brought to you by the Guardian Network to see just how much your short-term spins might be impacting your longer-term financial goals. Play today by visiting www.livingconfidently.com play. Hello and welcome to the Standard Deviations Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Crosby, and I am joined today by Emily Bender, who is an entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Beetle Moment Marketing. She focuses on AI and voice assistance, and she is here today to talk to us about the future of voice. So true to form, she hosts and produces two shows. Uh, The first is a top 10 ranked voice podcast called the Beetle Moment Marketing Podcast, And the second is an Alexa flash briefing called Voice Marketing with Emily Bender. For fun, she likes rollerblading, pressure cooking, and travel hacking. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Daniel. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you for thank you for for joining me today. So we've got to start out on a point of 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 shared emphasis, a point of of shared fun which is I would be missing an opportunity here if I didn't start with the name of your firm. I'm sure you get questions about Beetle Moment all the time, uh, but I assumed and was uh, correctly assumed that it was actually taken from a story told by the Swiss psychologist Carl Jung. So can you tell us this story and why it appealed to you enough to name your business after it? Absolutely. It's funny that you recognized immediately what it was because most people don't. And that's one of the reasons I chose it. But I read this story years ago, I think when I was in college, and it always it really stuck with me. So Carl Jung had this patient and she was very difficult to reach. She was extremely well-educated and rational and just psychologically inaccessible despite efforts on both sides. She always thought she knew better. And Jung, of course, was trying to tap into her ability to see deeper meaning in things. And he hoped that someday an irrational and unexpected event would break down her walls of intellectualism and open her to this world. So one day she was recounting a dream where she was given a piece of jewelry and she told him that it was a golden scarab. He was sitting opposite her as she described this jewelry and he heard this gentle tapping on the window outside. There was an insect out there trying to get in he opened the window and reached out and caught the beetle midair. And it was a gold green color, just resembling exactly what she had described in the dream. And he handed it to her and said, here's your scarab. So this kind of broke down her icy intellectual resistance and real change was then possible. So why did this appeal to you enough to make it the centerpiece of your business life? 
<laughs> it's two things. First, in naming a business, it's really good to use something that's memorable and visual. It's visual, right? I'm all about voice, but in this case, an animal, a number, or a color are good for naming a business. And then on the second hand with this, I think that in marketing, you're always trying to kind of create a beetle moment. Sometimes you're trying to force one where there's a, a deeper meaning or a connection. But to take somebody and change their beliefs or their habits and overcome inertia, you have to have a meaningful experience. So with what I do, I try to create little beetle moments. So at the, at the risk of extending this metaphor far further than we need to, the psychological term for what Jung is demonstrating there is synchronicity, which is the simultaneous occurrence of events which appear significantly related, but have no discernible causal connection. So do you think there's any way to to orchestrate these sort of beetle moments or do they just happen coincidentally or luckily? Usually they just happen luckily, but when you start paying attention, you open yourself up to them, you notice them more and more. And in the content that I create, most of that happens to be audio or voice related at this point, but all along what I've done is try to point out things that are delightful or special uh, something that's a little out of the ordinary. I think that you can look for those and create them if you try, but it really has to happen more naturally. That's the whole point of synchronicity, right? These are seemingly unconnected events. Yeah, you you make a great point there. You you see what you're looking for. I mean, it's a form of confirmation bias, of course. But you know, I think you know one of the reasons why I love being being married to my wife is I move through the world in sort of a a jaded, cynical way. And she moves through the world in in a way that's more magical and and hopeful, I think. And so she sees things all around her in nature, in people, uh, in events that seem purposeful, that seem meaningful, that seem magical. And I think it's a good lesson that if you expect that from from the world, you'll start to see it. Uh, and if you're me, you should see a glass half empty all the time. So it's a, I think it's a powerful lesson to for how to have more uh, beetle moments in our own lives. And we'll certainly talk about how we can create beetle moments uh, with the power of voice here. But before we get started on this, I had to, you know, I had to clear the air with what is arguably a little bit of a silly question. But, you know, people will uh, from time to time compliment me on an episode and say, you know, hey, I really liked your interview with so-and-so. Uh, do you listen to your own episodes? To which I always say no, uh, because I hate the sound of my voice. And I know that oh. I'm not alone. I know. I know. And I know I'm not alone there, though. Everyone hates, not everyone, but m- many people have said that they, they hate the sound of their own voice. So why are we wired to dislike the sound of our own voice? I think you're asking a question you know the answer to, but it's not so much wiring as it's, it's really like the hardware setup of the brain and the, the way that we hear. So when we speak, our vocal cords produce vibrations and those vibrations carry words and phrases and sounds to other people. Almost everyone can speak at least one language. And, you know, this is how we basically communicate, but our voices change tone depending where they're being heard. So others hear your voice as it is coming out of your mouth. You hear it as it's echoing inside your head. It sounds different to you, much like you're used to seeing your face when you look at it in the mirror, but other people see the flip and that face actually looks different to you than what you think of as your face. The same thing happens with your voice. So... I mean, I think you have a nice voice. It's a good podcasting voice. There's no reason to hate it. That's such a strong word. It's just that, you know, the vibrations are different sounding to you when they're recorded on a microphone than heard inside your skull. 
Well, thank you for for humoring my uh, my need for therapy. The longtime listeners of the podcast will know this is really just an excuse for me to have smart people on to try and solve my own neuroses. So thank you for humoring me there. So jumping into your actual work now, uh, you recently wrote something that I that I thought was fantastic, and it really kind of blew my mind. Uh, you said that hearing is the fastest of our senses. We process sound in 0.05 seconds, which is 10 times faster than the blink of an eye. The era of tap, type, and swipe, which began in 2007 with the first iPhone, will end soon. So this seems like a pretty bold call. Can you say more about why you think the future is voice? Oh, absolutely. It just makes sense that people gravitate toward whatever is easiest frictionless. Um, So with technology, we have been computing really in the language of computers. If you think about typing, the keyboard itself is actually physically set up to slow you down because when the first keyboards were created, the the typewriters would get jammed if people type too fast. That's why we have QWERTY. It's not because there's any rhyme or reason to the way the letters are ordered. It's to slow you down. So a lot of the technology that we use today is still based on things that slow us down. Just like if you look at credit card technology and swiping, this is decades old. There's no reason to still do it this way. And that always gets replaced by something better, faster, quicker, easier. Voice is that. This is the next paradigm that we'll use to interact with technology. And it's universally accessible. You don't have to learn it. You're born with the ability to speak, at least most people are. So that gets rid of any accessibility issues and any learning curve. You don't have to be a digital native and learn an interface or deal with some four-inch pane of glass that you claw at and can barely make out the size of the letters for the way that vision works. So what what evidence of this are you already seeing today? Is there evidence today that voice is getting some pretty dramatic uptake in the way that you suggest will, will happen in the future? Oh, sure. You could look at smart speakers, for example. They are the fastest growing consumer technology of all time. This is something I pretty much always say when I talk about voice to introduce people and really illustrate the gravity of this is moving fast, faster than anything else. You look at radio, television, computer, smartphone, none of these were adopted at the rate that the smart speaker has been. And of course, the Amazon Echo or Google Home Hub are kind of leading the way with that. They have market share. There are so many stats out there about the, the rapid adoption of these devices. And then you have voice, voice shopping. So holiday voice shopping tripled year over year last holiday season for items ordered by voice through Alexa, for example. There's all of that. And there's the fact that, you know, voice is on 4 billion devices. It's just, it's already out there and it's in the wild. So you have people adopting new devices and smart home is a big piece of that. Everything from thermostats to lights um, doorbells. It's not just about the smart speakers, but it's all—it's already on mobile phones, and those already are out in the market. So it's just this new dominant modality that I think will be more and more useful to people as they as they realize they can get more accomplished faster and without having to drop what they're doing. It's it's fascinating. I see this in my own family. We have we have a smart speaker in every bedroom in the house and also one in the sort of the kitchen in the main living area. And I have a three-year-old daughter who can work Alexa just fine. I mean, much to my dismay, I've been hearing the Frozen 2 soundtrack on a loop uh, ever since it came out. But I mean, it's incredible that a three-year-old child 
is, is totally savvy, totally capable of operating what is ostensibly a complicated piece of machinery. You know, it, it's a little surprising yet not. I think that's the sign of good tech. Look at when the iPad came out and two things about that. First, toddlers easily pick up an iPad and intuitively know how to use it because it's, it's really well made. It's a great product. Second, when it first came out, it was mocked. People said, well, why would I need something that's in between a phone and a, a computer? It's a tablet. It's, it's like this middle ground. What's the point? Is it a menstrual product? I don't care about this. It'll never be popular. And look what happened. It's kind of the same with smart speakers. Um, it's easy for any age to use. Actually, really young people and really old people love voice because, of, like I said earlier, it's highly accessible. So my own experience with voice has directly backed up everything that you're talking about and predicting for the the future. I have, of course, at various times been a blogger. I've been on TV and done various video clips, um, you know, frequent tweeter and and very active on social media. But nothing has done for me uh, what what voice has done for me. Nothing has done for me what, what candidly this podcast has done for me. And I have never put up the kind of numbers on a written piece uh, that, that I do on any given episode of, of this podcast. So being the psychologist that I am, I want to talk a little bit about the psychology of voice. So what is it, what properties of, of voice make it so much more impactful uh, than, than other approaches? I think you know this kind of goes back to storytelling around the campfire, right? So all of the mechanisms through which we bond with our small groups, our tribes that allow us to survive, really started with voice, with storytelling, with narrative, way before we had the written word. We're still wired for voice. The average person speaks about 110 to 130 words per minute. They type 38 to 40, but you have the mental capacity to understand speech at 400 words per minute. So... That means that we can process this faster than anything else. It burns the fewest calories in the brain, and that means it has the least friction. So from a marketing perspective, if you can reach your customers in that way, they will gravitate toward that information. And then why is it so powerful? Why do people like podcasts? I think it has to do with multitasking. It's not just that it's easy to process and it kind of crawls into your ear the most efficiently, but you can be doing other things while you're listening. You really can't do that with reading or watching. It's all about the audio because I forget the exact mechanism. You know this. In the brain, with multitasking, that sense is able to occur at the same time as other processing. Yeah, it's it's incredible because everything else seems so much more effortful. You know, I've got a million tabs open right now just in Europe for the last week. And so I'm catching up on, on all my reading uh, but it's effortful and it's it's singular and it's focused. Whereas today we're at you know two two o'clock today in the afternoon, I have already consumed an hour and a half's worth of podcast because you know I got to drive to the gym and I got to work out and there you go that's an that's an hour and a half and quite effortlessly I put some pretty great ideas in my head and and really haven't even thought twice about it. So you make a great point there that it's um, you know calorically easy. Uh, the effort required is is pretty minimal, and you can you feel like you're getting a lot done. I think it's a great point. 
Right. I, the average person spends 11 hours a day on a screen, whether that's their computer or their phone, television. And that's up from just nine and a half hours about four years ago. I think we are going to hit a breaking point where we just snap and we're tired of craning our necks downward, experiencing the world through these small panes of glass, essentially. And we want to be free. We want to look up. We want to experience life. We want to talk to other people for real and not through this very thin method, which is text-based. You lose so much when it's just the written word and it's not spoken. So we're kind of ripe at this point of really hitting a threshold of like, I just can't take it anymore. There's too much information. And voice, I think, could be this very simple, beautiful way, especially when it becomes more curated and AI starts playing a role in giving you a feed of what matters to you. Like flash briefing has huge potential for this. That Yeah. And this is why for me as a marketer, how do we get our content in there? How do we reach people in this very effective way that's going to give them hours of their day back? You make a great point about the the tribal aspects of this and the relational aspects of this. Mom, my daughter and I have listened to a podcast called Lore. It's a very popular podcast about sort of spooky American folklore. And we both like these sort of dark, dark tales of intrigue, right, that have a, a strong inroads into American history in them as well. And the gentleman that does this podcast, his name is Aaron Mankey, and I, I recently took her to a meet and greet and a, and a reading that, that he did here in Atlanta. And when we met him, it was incredible because I felt like I knew him because I have literally, you know, listened to hundreds of hours of this man talking to me and telling stories. And uh, although I was meeting him for the first time, I, I felt like he was an old friend uh, because of the way that he puts his podcast together. And it feels so personal. It feels so intimate and relational. So one of my favorite things to do is to take successful enterprises, a successful podcast like Lore uh, or like your podcast, and dissect them and, and try and break them down to the constituent parts that make them the way that they are. I've tried to do that with the financial markets. I've tried to do that with human behavior. So when you think about the ingredients of, of a successful voice enterprise, whether it be a flash briefing or a podcast or, or whatever, uh, what do you think are the ingredients that make, make a successful voice endeavor? I say brevity is, is a big one. And if it's not brief, at least it should be concise and focused and structured. I know that there are some very popular podcasts out there that might run anywhere from one, two, or three hours interviews, which is nuts, but people sometimes really do listen. And long-form content can be wonderful if you're qualified. I, I don't have the audacity personally to put out a two- or three-hour podcast. I don't think I have enough to say for that much time that is more valuable than something else somebody could be reading or doing. I think getting in and out is huge. That's what I would counsel the average person on. If you're, if you're like a Barry Ritholtz and you're doing master's in business, great. Go for it. Two hours. I'll, I will be learning that entire time. Um, interestingly, you said at the beginning that you use this as a way to talk to people and learn. Like it's selfish. You know, he says the same thing, but it's, I've learned a lot from your show. Like I think it's a gift. I don't think it's selfish at all. But anyway, what else goes into a good podcast? Think about if you were putting an email or a memo on somebody's desk who is busy and they have things that they care about, you want your podcast to hit the triggers of one of those things. Um, does it have to do with helping them? be more successful, like making more money this year or saving time 
or being more productive, whatever is important to your audience, how does this content relate to that and help them with that? It, it can't just be fluffy or something that maybe kind of sounds uh, like clickbait. It has to have something very valuable and get to it quickly, especially like, use the preview clip as an intro, just like it's the lead. So, you know, it's interesting. You you alluded, I think, to effectively Joe Rogan's podcast, right? <laughs> right and so right. there's, you know, because you say when I was when I was researching my podcast, right? I said, you know, what's what's my format going to be? And I did a series of sort of ten to fifteen minute uh, didactic pieces, and then I said, you know, I'm going to move to an interview format. How long do I want them to be? And everything I found was that about twenty five to twenty seven minutes was sort of the the sweet spot. Now, not coincidentally, I think the average American commute is also right about 20, 25 minutes. So I think a lot of people are listening on the way to work. But I think it's an important thing to remember. You know, the exception doesn't prove the rule. Brevity is the rule. Most people want quick, impactful, easy to digest sound bites, not Joe Rogan. So, you're, you know, you're not Joe Rogan. You don't have Joe Rogan's uh, Rolodex. Uh, or or his mind, so so maybe uh, keep keep it brief, keep it pithy, and and move on. I think is is good advice. Uh, how important is it to be focused? You know, for someone considering uh, going into voice, you know, a lot of podcasts are extremely niche. Is that important, or do you find that there are some more generalist podcasts that are successful as well? Focus is good. I would say, just talk talk about what you know. Don't don't play in a space that really is too much of a stretch because then the content's not going to be valuable. Here's an example. One of the marketing podcasts that I've been listening to for, gosh, eight years or so is The Beancast. And I go on this show. Sometimes I'm a guest. Um, Bob Norp's a great host. And he, he uses a format where every week he has on three or four guests, panelists, and discusses news topics for the week. Um, and that works really well. It's in the niche of marketing and advertising, which is giant. I mean, that's truly not a niche. This is actually something I struggled with with my own podcast and my flash briefing. I have two different shows. And they are about, they always were about marketing. That's really what I've been doing for a long time. And the voice thing has been the last three years or so. They overlap a lot, but it's, it's kind of about both topics. And it, it ends up getting, sometimes I think it confuses people because they don't know if they're going to expect an episode that's about something very heavily technical in the voice world. Or is it about marketing? So what I do is I always tie it back to marketing, which is really the basis. Anybody listening to my show should get something marketing-related out of it every time, even if the episode has mostly relation to voice. So kind of stick with your North Star or your audience's primary interest. Yeah, it's interesting because I have um, varied interests but wanted my podcast to be cohesive and so I've tried to make it about money, mind, and meaning, right? So these are all things that are of great interest to me. But, you know, money, the I work in finance, but it isn't uh, interesting to me per se. The thing that's interesting to me about finance is that it's a really vivid canvas on which we can, you know, sort of tell stories about human behavior and the way that people find meaning and purpose. But I find all of those things more interesting uh, than talking about money explicitly or maybe, you know, trying to talk about how to wring an extra percentage point of alpha out of, a, out of an investment strategy. And so you have to find what works for you. Um, keep it focused enough that people know what to expect, I think, and know that they're interested. Uh, but it also has to ring true. I think you can really tell when a host 
is passionate about her subject matter uh, versus, versus not. So I think that's uh, great advice. So there has yeah, been, you know, you, oh, go ahead. You just reminded, you just reminded me of something I wanted to mention this. It's a, it's a quote that I love. This was from a podcast, um, a friend of mine, Patrick Brewer, he does the model FA podcast and he had Stephanie Bogan on. And she said, when people come into your office to talk about their money, they're never really talking about their money. So what you just said about, I don't want to do a podcast about alpha and like going through specific investment strategies it is more interesting to talk about the psychology of money or behaviors of investors because that's that's at the root of all of it. And that's what, you know, you can get really technical and dissect strategy and there there's an audience for that, but it becomes more interesting when you apply the story to it and you're already doing, it's like you're sitting around the fire. Are you going to pull out a textbook? No. What's the story? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. And in- incidentally, I think people would have better returns by studying psychology than they would studying a finance textbook. But that's, uh, you know, that's that's just uh, my bias. So there has been a ton of of talk about a podcast top, right? There's been, I think, sort of a general eye rolling. There's been these stats about, you know, there's now over seven hundred thousand podcasts. You know, the last thing the world needs is another podcast. What do you think about this? Are we at the top? Is it still? Uh, is there still time for people to get involved? Uh, what do you think about this sort of eye-rolling moment that we find ourselves in? Well, like you said, there are roughly 750,000 podcasts out there, but most of them are not active because 50% of podcasts pod fade within six weeks. That means they stop producing new content. So... Does that does that indicate that we're at the top? I don't think so. I think more and more people will still continue to try to put podcasts out there. It's a matter of do they stick with it. Here's what will change about it, I predict. It will get shorter and there will be more of a voice assistant element to it. So they'll be cataloged better. I mean, we still don't have a great system for really tagging and transcribing all the content. So I think... I don't know if this was your book or some other book I was reading that every year the amount of data we produce doubles. So next year we'll produce more data in our you know planet as humans than we have for all the years that came before. And if that's happening and podcasting is this medium that people are producing more and more content, it needs to be parsed and then accessible in a way that's useful instead of just having a bulk of more and more data, just like there are more minutes produced on YouTube and Instagram photos, but is it making us any smarter? Not unless we organize the information. With flash briefing, which is for anyone that doesn't know, this is the native news feature on Alexa. It's sort of like Apple news on your phone where you swipe down, you see the top headlines, but it's voice. Podcasts will probably go the way of having more bite-sized content that's curated in a feed. doesn't mean the long-form ones go away. I mean, those interviews are still great to listen to, and people are still commuting because we're still driving for now. But I think that just making things uh, briefer will will be in vogue and, and making them really concise and then organizing and cataloging them. It's not, it's not over, though, and it's in ways just getting started. It's highly competitive. It's very noisy, but so is the rest of the internet. So is blogging, and people still play there. There's still reasons to do it. It's, it's just about putting out good content that adds value. Yeah, I think you you make a couple of great points there. First of all, uh, consistency is key. I, you know, I think if, if 50% of them only make it to episode six or, or before, 
I bet it continues to drop off dramatically at 10, 15, 20. You know, the number of podcasts that are consistently doing this week in and week out or, you know, month in and month out, I bet is uh, uh, vanishingly small. So if you're consistent, I think you have a real leg up. You know, I think that quality finds a way to to rise to the top. I, I was reading uh, a business case study recently, and I believe that Google was like the 26th search engine or something crazy like that, right? There's not always this first mover advantage. Uh, to, to have first mover advantage, you still have to be high quality and consistent. So uh, I know personally... I consume podcasts at an incredible clip, you know, just as someone who travels, someone who, you know, drives 30 or 40 minutes a day, uh, someone who spends some time at the gym. Um, my appetite for, for voice content is voracious, and I know I'm not alone in this. And so I think the world still needs these voices, and I hope we can, we can sort of start to quash uh, some of this eye rolling a bit. Yeah, yeah. The, the eye rolling is there because everyone and their brother has a podcast. Most of them are no good. But when you find the good ones and, and there's quality and consistency, I, there's no, it's my favorite medium. Like, I love consuming podcasts. Obviously you do too. And um, on that note, I also want to give a, an app tip. So you can obviously download podcasts for offline listening. But um, something that if you're into audio, Danny Fava actually gave this tip out on the flash briefing that she does for TD Ameritrade. Some of you guys might have heard this already. There's an app called Pocket. And I, if you don't want to listen to podcasts, but you want to listen to articles, you can save articles to this app and then you can play them, have them read aloud to you later. So it's also a way to get information similar to playing podcasts when you're driving, commuting, at the gym, whatever. Wow. I had no idea. And now I'm going to move every single one of these articles to pocket and uh, turn them into a, a sort of podcast. That's great. Great yeah. tip. Um, there's one thing I forgot to answer your question. You asked like what goes into making a good podcast or flash briefing. The flash briefing should be short, two to three minutes long. Um, that's kind of the biggest, the biggest tip. And also don't, don't spend a bunch of time on an intro because people want to hear what's happening right away when it's short form and it's news-based like that. You could have a few seconds of an audio mark, like a Sonic logo at the beginning, which I do recommend. Oh, that's a whole other thing. We forgot to talk about Sonic branding. The podcast Sonic branding, which is really the sound of it, all the music associated with it, should be consistent with the adjectives that you would use to describe that brand. Like, is it futuristic or is it trustworthy? Does the sound match up with the ways that you would think of that brand or that person. It can't be like banjo music if the podcast is about technology. So spend the money, work with, uh, work with a professional and, and get someone who understands your brand and can give you some sonic branding uh, that matches your brand. Don't just necessarily spend the 20 bucks uh, to get the, the, the cheapo download uh, for, for free off the internet, right? Yeah, yeah. It makes a difference. Absolutely. So as we begin to close out, um, I like to do something that's, uh, you know, a psychologist's trick, right? Uh, where you lay back on the couch and I, I throw out a word or a phrase and you just say the first thing that comes to your mind in, in a sort of free association. Okay. So you ready? Okay. <laughs> you don't, Ugh. you don't sound convinced. I, I, you don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. I, I'm really going to go with the first thing. <laughs> 
Okay, so the first question... No swearing. (laughs) No swearing, no swearing. Got to keep the sponsors happy. So the first question is, why did you sell out the greatest city in America? FOMO. So here's the answer. I lived in Atlanta for eight years. Atlanta was great to me. Uh, Lots to love about it. Love the trees. And I... I visited Austin. I think I actually came to see Bush and it was like 4th of July weekend a few years ago and had just this amazing time, had a few Beatle moments, really enjoyed the energy in the city. And also I had a, I had a sense that there was a lot going on here and I had FOMO about Austin. I was like, that's, that's the cool place that I want to live. And there's a lot of tech and there's this great sense of community and energy and I just wanted to move on to kind of the next phase and try something else. Um, That's all. Like it really, I just felt like there was something going there that I wanted a piece of. So I moved and I had nothing holding me back. Like at that point, I didn't have a corporate job or like a nine to five that I had to be at a certain place. And it's funny though, the first year I was in Austin, it was great yet difficult. And I missed Atlanta. Like I almost moved back twice probably, but that's just... That's also fear, right? Fear in the brain. That's right. Well, uh, to, to those listening, Atlanta is the most treed city in America. They call it the city in a forest. Most, uh, most the greenest <laughs> large city. We welcome everyone to come see us. Um, learn from Emily's mistakes and never leave. No, um, Austin mm-hmm. is an incredible place. And the tacos alone are reason to live there to say nothing of the camaraderie and the incredible tech scene that's, that's blowing up there. So you move to a wonderful place, Atlanta, equally wonderful, but we will forgive you. So the next question is best under the radar podcast or flash briefing? Let's talk about a podcast. Um, you know what? It's not under the radar, but six pixels of separation with my friend Mitch Joel is still my favorite podcast. I think it was the first one I ever listened to starting when I was like, I don't know, in my early 20s, Six Pixels of Separation. He interviews the best minds in business, marketing, digital technology. Like He has Seth Godin on a lot. Seth's podcast is also fantastic, which is Akimbo. These are not under the radar, but they're some of my favorites. And I love some other ones. Like I like Invisibilia, like Note to Self. I mean, you were mentioning Lore. I mean, these are more of like the fun, entertaining ones. They're not necessarily going to teach you about marketing or voice or anything. Um, yeah, those ones are really great. I like Reply All. I like Hidden Brain. And um, oh, yeah. And then Design Matters with Debbie Millman is really cool. Spectacular Failures. There's so many. Uh, Invisibilia gets a... Uh a hearty second from me. That's a fantastic podcast, as is Hidden Brain. Those are two uh, that I that I never miss. So great, great suggestions that are popular for a reason. Uh, so the last question is, who has the best voice for voice? I would say Bob Norp, who's the host of the Beancast. And it's just, he actually started out in radio and now he hosts this weekly marketing podcast. But listen to the Beancast, like you'll hear it immediately. He has that kind of old school radio DJ voice. It's just like, 
Um, who is it? Chris Voss, who says, when you want to negotiate, go into that late night FM DJ voice. Bob <laughs> does that without even having to try. Seamless. I love it. So I've not, I've not listened to that one, but I will head there right after to hear the prototypical radio voice and do what I can to, to mimic it. So Emily, thank you so much for being here. If people are interested in what they've heard from you today and they want to find you, where can folks find you? Go to emilybender.com or beetlemoment.com. I have my blogs, my podcast, my flash briefing, all the good info is there. And then on Twitter, I'm at Emily Bender. Okay. Emily, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. You're welcome. All opinions expressed by Dr. Daniel Crosby and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of or endorsement by the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, and its affiliates, subsidiaries, employees, and agents, including Park Avenue Securities and the Guardian Network. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information participants consider reliable, and Dr. Crosby and Guardian are not responsible for the consequences of any decisions or actions taken because of the information provided. Guardian copyright is a registered trademark of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America. All materials are subject to United States copyright laws. Copyright 2020 Guardian. 2019-91527 Expiration 1221